looking today at Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, good to see you here, pray for those that are out sick today, and we have a whole family sick, and, and others, of course, this is vacation time, it's certainly good to be with you, and certainly good to be in God's house today. I heard about a young man that was <clears throat> sick and tired of his mother, she was kind of a domineering, controlling, contentious woman, and just constantly on him. And finally, he had the courage to say to his parents, I'm leaving. There's nothing you can do to stop me. I'm walking out that door and don't try and stop me. As they headed for the door, his dad got up and ran, ran toward him. He said, Dad, you can't stop me. He said, stop you. I'm going with you. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5. Of course, you know the story here. I love the verse in Ecclesiastes, two is better than one. And Paul has Barnabas. At times they didn't agree, but they do a great work for God as they went through Galatia, reaching the Gentiles and starting multiple churches to the people who we know as Gauls, G-A-U-L-S, Gauls. And they started these churches and now he's having to write the church and rebuke them for allowing these people to come in and teach something that's false. And you know the background here. These churches today are in modern, and today in Turkey. Uh, the churches aren't there. I mean, they're gone, but they would be in Turkey today. We talk about standing a lot in the Baptist realm, in the Christian world, and here he's talking about taking a stand. We always talk about standing on man-made rules, convictions, religious traditions. Some are good, but not all traditions are good. But Scripture's not teaching that here. It's teaching the Galatians to stand upon grace and mercy and liberty. Isn't that interesting? To stand on those things. John 8, 34 says people are the servants of sin. Titus 3, 3 says they serve various lusts. Uh, but Titus 2, 14 says they can be free from iniquity. The context starts, obviously, with chapter 4, as there are no chapter divisions in the Bible. In fact, the Bible is written in scroll form. We have codex. We can turn pages. I love chapter divisions. I love the added words. We call them italics. Those are the little slanted letter words that help us as we translate from one language to another to help us to understand it. In all the languages that have the Bible all have added words to make it clear. And I love all that stuff that we can simply go to a passage and find it. But they were originally written in scroll, in scroll form. And in this scroll, prior to this text, was the great allegory that we studied last week. The two women. Uh, we know Hagar and, and Sarah, the two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. The two covenants, the old and the new, the law and grace. The two mountains, Sinai and Jerusalem. The two births, flesh and spirit or flesh and promise. The two lives, bondage and freedom. And he gave us all that to lead us into this text. To say now, stand. So we stand today, and let's read chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. We're physically standing today, and that's not what this text means. But we're, we're standing to read. Stand fast. It means stand strong. Stand firm. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, that means look, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ profits you nothing. In other words, if you're depending on circumcision for salvation, Christ is meaningless. Verse 3, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor 
to do the whole law. Bless us, Lord, as we take a look in your book for a walk in a very evil world. Help us to prepare our hearts for the week. Help us to learn and glean something today that we can carry here, out of here, home, and just ponder it, think about it, and maybe this week apply it to our lives. Bless now, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Next week, we'll get very personal and very practical as we look at, look at the works of the flesh. But here, as we lead into this great practical part of Galatians chapter 5 and 6, we're studying this matter of freedom. Romans chapter 8, verse 2 and verse 21 tells us that we're free from sin. I love that, being free from sin. Romans 6.18 says the same thing. Romans 7.6 says we're free from the law. We're no longer under the handwritten ordinances of the law. Yet in Romans 6, verse 2, it says, don't use that freedom to sin. We're free. We have all this liberty to live as Christ would have us to live. And all of us have different convictions, different uh, things in our life that, that the Holy Spirit's told us that we need to do or not do. And we're all unique and different. And we're told in Romans 14, don't push your convictions on someone else. They're personal to you. They're between you and the Holy Spirit, and they may not be in the Word of God. In fact, a conviction oftentimes is just Holy Spirit generated. But we know, and Romans tells us, do not allow your freedom to, don't, don't sin because you have the freedom in Christ. You don't have a freedom to sin. Drop down to verse 13. He says, for brethren, you have been called into liberty. Use, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. We don't have the freedom to sin. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. James and 1 Peter, and when I get there, I'll read it, but it says in chapter 2 and verse 16, and I love this verse, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. We don't have the freedom to sin. We're free in Christ, just not to sin. And so we understand our freedom, and uh, God's liberty bell is not cracked seen the liberty bell, it's cracked. God's isn't. We're totally free in Christ to live beyond other people's rules and regulations and to live by how God's called us, live by the standard God's called us to live by, not, not to please other Christians. I've been there and done that, so tired of that thinking where someone in the church has real strong ideas on things and they manipulate other people into doing what they say to do. And it's not Holy Spirit for that person. It's one person mandating things. In fact, quite often you go to a church, a new church, and you'll have the real, you'll learn the rules after you're there. Oftentimes pastors come in and they have a bunch of rules. I'm not against rules. In fact, we need to submit to authority when you, you join. It's like the guy who said, I'm sick of rules. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Yeah, there are guidelines in life. We're thankful for those rules. We need rules at home. Your dad lays down the rules, and certainly at work. In church, of course, there has to sometimes be some rules and regulations. But unfortunately, it's carried to extremes. And people force their personal convictions on everyone else. Chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. You're not a servant to other people's ideas, to sin. You're not a servant to the law. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 10. Turn back there. And then we'll take a break from turning for a few moments. Acts chapter 15. Uh, I, I, love, I love this. You've got to get this. This is, again, Paul and Barnabas over here in Acts. 
And he says here in verse 15, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And of course, this is false teaching. There are churches today that say you have to take first communion to be saved. Other churches say you have to be baptized to be saved. No, 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 you don't. We're saved by grace through faith. Plus nothing. And I love that. In fact, we're, we're concluding this whole idea of salvation by faith as next week we get very practical. But boy, Paul spent all this time reinforcing the salvation by faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. But look at verse Acts chapter 15, verse 1, and then down to verse 10. Now therefore, Paul is saying to them, now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? Why are you trying to force this on the followers of Jesus Christ to say you have to be circumcised to be saved? And of course, that's a serious doctrine because it goes against the truth of Scripture that we're saved by faith. Remember, we had the great example of Abraham who was declared righteous long before he was circumcised. We have the thief on the cross who was never baptized. So many people declared righteous before they were ever baptized in the Bible. And so we know that's just not an accurate teaching. So what do we say today? We say stand, 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 stand against the bondage of sin. Stand against the bondage of tradition. Traditions aren't always good. Sometimes they're bad. When they're good, that's fine. But tradition to the Jews really was a powerful weight, a yoke around their neck. They had the oral traditions passed down that weren't in the Bible, and Jews would just abide by them, the traditional washing and other things they would do. And Jesus said, if the tradition's not in Scripture, you don't have to worry about it. I love Jesus. I love the way he refuted all that. But stand against these things. Stand against people who try to control you by telling you something your life is wrong when you don't find it in the Bible. You ever been in church with someone like that? All of us have been there, done that. And they come up and they tell you something. This is really, really an extreme example. Someone told me when I was in college, you shouldn't wear wire rim glasses because it's a sign of the hippie movement. I thought, man, a life, my hair is above my ears, and I'm a hippie now. Now, that's an extreme, but you know what I'm talking about. There are people that are in churches always trying to put their ideas on you. You're free from that, unless the Spirit of God gives you a conviction. Now, we all need standards and convictions in our lives, and we need to turn to the Holy Spirit for them. We're not saying today not to be separated. We have to come out from the world to be separated. We have to be different than the world. We can't love the world or the things of the world. I understand that. I preached that one week, but this is the other side of the coin, where we do not allow people to control us with their ideas. Paul said if one wants to eat meat, let him eat meat, and the other shouldn't judge him, and vice versa. So we have, we have the freedom in Christ to live for God without listening to those who want to influence us like the Judaizers were influencing the people of Galatia. Now, we're free from four things I'll give you quickly, and then we're going to look at four other things. We're free from religious regulations, as we already called traditions. We're free from mosaic restrictions, or the letter of the law. We're free from man-made rules or so-called standards. And I think I told you this story maybe a year or so ago. I was in a church in Morristown, Tennessee, preaching. 
they scheduled me to preach. Somebody had told them I was a good speaker, and you know, he had scheduled me and all that. And I get up there, and when I walk in the door, he gives me this stare. I'd spent the night, my wife and I, in a home with some people. I walk in the door, and I think they knew it was coming because they kind of looked at me the same way. And I walked in the door, and the pastor had a funny look on his face. I knew something was bothering him. It wasn't my breath. It wasn't that close. And uh, I remember that, uh, you know, he hesitated even as he introduced me. He didn't uh, really introduce me like he was excited to have me there. And we had a great service. People responded. There were people crying. I mean, you know, God just really worked in the service. And I believe he works in hearts, even if we don't see him up front, you know. And so we went to Shoney's afterwards. I don't know if you ever heard of Shoney's, but it's a restaurant used to be. Yeah, I'm just joking. And we're sitting in Shoney's, and he had that same look. And I said, Pastor, please tell me, what is bothering you? And he said, I've never allowed anyone on my stage with a mustache. Now, is that unbelievable? Is that unbelievable? I just thought mustaches are worldly. And I said, well, you know, I said, Aaron had a beard to his waist. And Isaiah 50, verse 6, says they pulled Jesus' whiskers out. So, Pat, and I said it very respectfully. I said, I don't understand that. Well, it was one of his rules. And he had a long list of rules. He went on about his rules. The more rules he shared with me, the more turned off I was by his leadership. Because those were his ideas. Now, if he had a conviction about shaving every morning his upper lip, that's fine. Okay, that's fine. But don't force your ideas and convictions on other people. That's where he deviated from the word of God. If he could find it in scripture, I mean, I can understand certain standards where he says, this is in the Bible, this is the way I view it. You know, don't do this or don't do that. But a mustache, I was quite so shocked I went home and didn't shave. <laughs> so man-made rules. And so quite often, preachers preach their own convictions. I call that the book of second opinions. And they preach and preach things that they think should be in the Bible but aren't. And then finally, uh, religious regulations, mosaic restrictions, man-made rules, and sinful routine. The habit of sinning. We're free from that. You don't have to do it anymore. That shirt, the devil made me do it, is a big lie. Most of the time, our sin is from our flesh. The devil doesn't have to bother with very many Christians. Because most Christians are so defeated by the flesh, he knows they're defeated. He can go deal with the bigger fish to fry. You know, he's got bigger things because he looks at our lives and we're so controlled by the flesh. We'll talk about the works of the flesh next week. Probably a lot of you won't show up. And I'm just kidding. But... We'll talk about the works of the flesh. But the world and the flesh, the world has so many young people defeated. They can't say no to the world. And I remember being young. Let's go to the party. Let's do this. Let's do that. And boy, that's a real difficulty for a young person to say no to the world. But as you mature as an adult and grow up, you, you can say no to the world, but then you always have the flesh. Pastor, when is the flesh going to stop bothering me the day you die? It's going to bother you to the day you go in that casket. That's right. You're going to carry that old sinful body, that sinful body of death with you everywhere you go. We'll talk about that next week, but here we find sinful routine, and we're free from it. Romans chapter 6 says, The old man is crucified, don't, and, and he says, Reckon or know that you're dead to sin. You don't have to sin. You know why you sin? Because it feels good. It's enjoyable. 
It's so much fun to sin. I mean, just think of how good it is to just let your flesh go once in a while. Years ago, I was coaching a, a ladies' team. I always tell you all my bad stuff. I was coaching a ladies' team, basketball team, and I got all over the ref, and they threw me out of the game. And, of course, I got home, and uh, my wife was on the team. So my wife shared with me her displeasure in my outburst. It felt good at the moment, but, oh, was I embarrassed after that. I passed her church in the air. And when I was a player, I also did some of that. Got technicals, got mad at refs. It's just a ball game. But to me, I wanted to win. And being a sore loser is a part of the flesh. I didn't like losing. And so we, we know our flesh, feel, it feels good to our flesh, but we always know afterwards, we always feel bad. You jump on your wife or you spank your kittens in anger. Boy, it feels good. And then afterwards, you realize, oh, man, I went too far. Let's talk about four choices. Verse one, first choice, we have to choose between legalism or liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. I love what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy, it's light. See, it's not sinful and burdensome, it's an easy yoke. Because a burden, bur, being burdened now with sin is tough. But when you're, when you're yoked with the Lord Jesus, he helps you carry the loads that come along. And his yoke is easy. He says, be not entangled again. That's an interesting word. We talk about word meanings. And, and the, the, we call it etymology. What a word, how it came into being. This, this originally started with trappers who set snares to entrap an animal. And that same word is used here in the New Testament uh, how that we can be entangled with a yoke of bondage. And so many people are, are, are in a snare in their life because the sin controls them and they can't shake free. Or rules and regulations. Sometimes you'll see a show and it'll be about a cult. And here are people and you're so startled that they can be led astray like they're led astray. I saw one on, you know, 60 Minutes or something a few weeks ago, and it was about this guy that started a, a, a church, so-called, and controlled people every aspect of their life. And, of course, eventually he had women, and he had to hire them, and he had these young girls, and he was sleeping with all of them. Now he's in jail. And I thought, how do people follow that? Well, it doesn't start out like that. That snare is, is, is powerful, but the animal that smells the, the food and, and, and thinks of the good things it's going to enjoy gets caught in it. And the church started out, and maybe people felt his pastor loved them, and he was going to lead them into spiritual greatness. And then all of a sudden, things started happening, and they weren't aware of it, and they're entangled. They're trapped. And they can't get out. And, and that's what sin does. And Christ died to give us freedom. And let me tell you something, it cost him everything. Amen. He shed his blood and, and, and gave it all for us in Calvary so we could be free. I want to yoke up with Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty nine. So first of all, we make a choice. And I choose liberty today. Second of all, we have to choose between law or grace, or we could say circumcision or Christ. And I say Christ alone. 
Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ profits you nothing. And, of course, circumcision is a type of the cutting away. You understand that. It's a type of God trimming the excesses of all, off our life. And we're all spiritually circumcised when we're saved. He's cut off things spiritually that will hurt us. And so he says here, I, I say unto you that if you're circumcised, then Christ profits you nothing. I'm thankful that we only need to be spiritually circumcised. But if you're depending on that for salvation, Paul is saying here, if you're depending on circumcision and Christ, you're wasting your time, and Christ died for nothing, and it's not going to benefit you at all to try to follow Christ if you're dependent on circumcision for salvation. In fact, let me tell you something. If someone comes to our church and says, I want to join the church and I'm saved, and I say, tell me about your salvation. I say, well, I was baptized. I'm going to say, buddy, you're not ready. Because baptism has never saved anyone. Well, I, was, I, was, I trusted Jesus, and, and I, know, I know I have to believe in baptism to be saved, and so I believe in Jesus and baptism. I'm going to say, you're not ready. Because baptism doesn't save. And they had the same problem with circumcision. And so we have to choose. Verse 3, he says here, For I testify again unto every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So if you're dependent on circumcision for salvation, then you're in debt to the entire law. James says if you violate the law, the Old Testament law, referring to the Old Testament, if you violate it in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. And if you're going to go into the law, you have to live by the law, you've got to die by the law. It means they'll stone you when you break the law. They took rebellious teens outside and stoned them under the law. And if you didn't give your tithes, they'd stone you. I mean, the, the punishment of the law was extreme. We're not under that anymore. Thank God. But don't try to put yourself under the law when you're free from it. And we look now at law and grace, and we pick up in verse 4. He says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. You know, if you're dependent on the law for salvation, Christ is meaningless to you. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. He says, lest the cross of Christ should remain of none effect. If you're dependent on the law for salvation, you're falling short. You're not going to be saved. You're going to go to hell. It's Christ alone. It's an insult to Christ to think that you can do a work of man and be saved and go to heaven. Well, if I thought baptism saves, I'd go to a local swim pool and grab everyone and throw them under. Do you believe in Jesus? You're saved. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous to believe that you're saved by anything outside of a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. He died for my sin, and I'm not going to insult him by believing that a work of man like baptism, which I love and I encourage all believers to get baptized, I'm still not going to encourage people to do that for salvation. That's, a, that's just an af, what we do afterwards to show that we've been saved. Verse 5, he says here, For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We wait for the hope of righteousness. Pastor, what hope is it talking about here? Well, from God's perspective, I'm already righteous. God sees me as righteous. Why? He sees the blood. I'm covered in the blood. But I know old Dan. I, I know what's going on in here. I know what's going on in my flesh. So I know that I'm not as righteous as I'd like to be. 
And as long as I carry this body, I'm not going to be. Romans gives us five great doctrines. Condemnation. Oh, I, I've been there. I am that. But then I was justified. Justification. Sanctification, where God set me apart. Consecration, where God uh, helps me to be, be thinking about how I should live to consecrate myself. And the final one is not yet here, and it's called glorification. And I'm waiting for the hope of a righteous body to be totally righteous. And that one day that hope will become reality when I get a new body, a new tabernacle. And then we pick up in verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith with which worketh by love. The words availeth anything in, in Hebrews is translated something of no strength. Circumcision doesn't give us any strength. And we could apply that today and say baptism doesn't give us saving power. Baptism doesn't give you any power. Why do we get baptized? In obedience to Christ. Believe and then what? Be baptized. Two separate things. And so we don't get our regeneration from the water back here. We get it from the Holy Spirit. And Titus tells us that. The washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. He moves in, he changes us. Third, we look at verses 7 through 12. Leaven or lordship. Verse 7. Ye did run well, he's telling them. You were doing so well. Who did hinder you? It's a rhetorical question. The Judaizers are Jews. These were Gentiles, Gentile believers. They're certainly impressed by Jewish culture. They've observed the Jews and seen all their religious righteousness and all their, you know, fancy garments. And I'm sure it's impressive. And they were impressed by the Jews and the Jews really knew the law. And so you can understand why they're, why they're intimidated by these people. And so the Jews came into the church. The answer was the Jews came into the church and they intimidated you and, and you, you obeyed them, you listened to them and you abided by their leadership. He said, who did hinder you that you wouldn't obey the truth? Then verse eight, this persuasion cometh not of him that calls you. This isn't a God thing. This is a man thing. The Jews that did this are not of God. God didn't lead you to change the message of the church to come on in and be saved by being trusting in Jesus and being circumcised. God didn't lead you to do that. Didn't come from God. Look at verse 9. And of course, we see the word leaven quite a bit in our scripture. We understand how a little leaven ruineth the whole. I said a while back, if you get a loaf of bread and you see a little blue spot on it, if you don't pinch that little blue spot off, what's going to happen in a few days? Usually you take the plastic bag off, put another bag on it, tear that piece off, and your bread may be good for a while. But if you don't deal with that leaven, your bread's going to be ruined shortly. And a little leaven ruineth the whole. And what happened in the church was that they allowed a little false teaching. It was tearing the church apart. So Paul, inspired by God, writes the church and said, Hey, pay attention. This is wrong. It's ruined. It's hurting the church. False doctrine will tear a church apart. And leaven is a, is a serious thing. It, it, it applies to so many things in our lives that we can't allow to tear the church apart. And false teaching is the biggest thing. It's the worst thing that can happen in a church. One teacher comes in, starts a class, starts teaching a new doctrine. Nobody questions it. 
Nobody says there's something wrong here. Everybody just accepts it because he's the teacher. No, your hand's got to go up. Wait a minute. Baptism doesn't save anyone. That's not a correct teaching. Somebody go get the pastor. You can't just let it go. Now, we look the other way on some small things. The Bible's not very clear. You know, like uh, the sons of God. Some people interpret that to be angels and others godly people. And we, we can differ on that. We can differ on Moses or Elijah versus Moses and Enoch coming back in the tribulation period. It's not Enoch because he was a Gentile. Jews revered Moses and Elijah. So that's who it is, by the way. But we can differ on some things in the Bible, but not salvation. For by grace you save through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. And I hope if any young Christian here or young person here has been confused about their salvation, that this study has made it very clear to you week after week as we point out the importance of salvation by faith. You need to get that down. You need to understand faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. We've got to stay in the Bible to grow. I remember as a young man doubting my salvation. Way back then, going, going to my pastor, Winthrop Robinson was his name. He said, well, you need to read your Bible more. It'll take away those doubts. Simple answer, and it worked. Romans 10, 17. So he says here, eleven can ruin the whole. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubles you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. I have confidence. I'm persuaded that you'll think correctly about this doctrine and straighten this matter out. But I will tell you this, those that have taught this are accountable to God. One of the things that scares me, and one of the reasons I study a lot, is my accountability to God. I could care less what the preacher down the road thinks about my preaching and teaching. I only care about him. You see, when I spend my time in my Bible, I want to get it right. I want to know every word, every sentence, every theme, everything related to it. I want to know the answer so that I, when I stand up, I preach it right. Why? Because one day I'm going to give him an account, Brother Harold, for everything I've preached right here. And if I preach something incorrectly, I'm going to answer to God for it. I'm responsible as I preach God's word, and I want to preach it right. I don't care if I'm the best preacher. I want to be solid when it comes to interpreting the Bible. That, that's the bottom line. Sometimes I preach a text and think, boy, this is going to be kind of boring. The text seems boring. And I think, oh, Lord, you know, I'm going through this book. Not today, but I'm going through this book. And this is very redundant. You know, every week I got to repeat this theme. And I have been in Galatians, salvation by faith. That doesn't matter. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to teach you what this chapter says, what these verses say. And if I please the Lord, that's all that matters. And we can't worry about, you know, yeah, I'll listen to preaching sometimes. I think well, the guy gave me nothing. Sometimes it's a preacher with a great big church. And I'll hear him preach and think he had this one little verse and he told all these stories and the music was going and the strobe lights. And I, I, I changed the channel. I think I got nothing there. And, and, and I know that God wants us to know his word and to teach his words so we can answer every man. We have to know the word. And, and, and that's what I hope I, I, I end up being really good at explaining the passage and what it means. Now here in verse 11, Paul's saying, I'll be persecuted if I don't 
preach circumcision. He's not going to preach it, so what would happen if he'd be persecuted? But look at some words here. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Rhetorical statement here. But the word offense, read on, then is the offense of the cross ceased. The word offense, this is translated in 1 Corinthians 1.23, the word offense, the Greek word is translated stumbling block. The, the word you know, the Greek word you know, it's the word scan, scandalon, our word scandal. He says, you know, the cross is scandalous. It's offensive. It's a stumbling block. Why? Why is the cross a stumbling block to so many people? Because the cross demands helplessness of man. And in our pride, we don't want to admit we're helpless. Without Christ, I was careless to begin with, but I was helpless and hopeless. And I had to come to the point in my life as a 12-year-old kid to realize I'm totally rotten. I'm a helpless person without Jesus Christ and his bloodshed. And that's why the cross is scandalous. It's offensive to people. They don't like to hear it because it demands of them repentance. And if you're here today and you've never admitted you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell and you can be proud all you want to, but you've got to recognize you're lost in your sin and without Jesus' pardon and his blood, you're going to hell. It's hard for people. The Bible said not many noble. It doesn't say not any. There's a few noble people that are saved and a few rich people that are saved. But let me tell you something. Pride is a real deterrent to salvation. I learned that as a young preacher in Panama, starting my first church. I told you I knocked on every door. I knocked on all the officers' doors. I found a difference in the response to my message from officers and from enlisted men. The officers would scold me for being out on visitation and witnessing to people. Scoff at me and sometimes be just rude. But a lot of people that were down on their luck, lonely and away from mom and dad. Not arrogant people. I'm talking the lower enlisted ranking people were more apt to listen to what I had to say. I found it difficult to win officers to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean some of them weren't saved. We had some officers saved. Recently, I had a great guy, Colonel, come through and ate lunch with us, and he and his wife got saved from, in our ministry. He ended up being a colonel in the Green Berets. So that's a great story. Let me tell you, not many, though, not many noble. Why? Why? Because people with money, position, and power don't feel they need God. Who needs God? I can get the best doctors. I don't need to do, worry about money. I can pay for this and I can pay for that. I can go where I want. I can do what I want. Nobody tells me what to do. I can hire the best attorneys. It's the arrogance of the sinfulness of the proud. God can still save the noble, but not many are willing to say, I'm needy. I'm needy. Think of a person who's wealthy and loses it all, and all of a sudden he has to depend on, depend on others. There have been people who were wealthy, and God had to take it all to get them to their knees to be saved. Finally, they had to come and ask for help. It's a humbling experience, but let me tell you something. You have to humble yourself, or God will humble you before you can ever be saved.
the cross is offensive. Offensive because people have to realize they're without God and going to perish. Verse 12, I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. Paul actually uses a stronger word. The word circumcision means to cut off, but he uses a stronger Greek word here, here to say, I wish these people who are teaching this false doctrine would be cut off and just go to hell is what he's saying. Pretty strong statement. I wish they were cut off for teaching this false doctrine. Well, I got news for you. They will be cut off, those who teach false doctrine, if they don't get right. I get so mad and I got to quit. I can't watch certain TV programs where certain preachers get on there. There's one guy drives me crazy. He's always on there saying, I've made a lot of millionaires. If you give to my ministry, you'll be a millionaire. That's just a false gospel. And so many people have sent their savings in and money in and they never uh, became millionaires and they never got out of their financial trouble. My brother, who's 70 years old, and one of my two older brothers, said, well, I gave this televangelist $2,000. He said, if I gave it to him, he'd pray your de my debts away, and it didn't work. I said, Randy, why did you get involved in that kind of thing? You knew better. You know better. I said, Randy, I'll tell you what. You give me $200, i will pray him away. No, I didn't. <laughs> but somehow people think that given to a certain ministry, and yet we find so many people in the Bible who were poor their whole lives. The widow who gave her last penny to the temple... She never became a millionaire. That's a false teaching. God does bless giving, amen? God says to the Philippian church, because you gave to missions and gave continually, my God's going to supply all your needs. So we know the concept of reaping and sowing is biblical. It, you, God does bless those that give. There's no doubt about that. Luke says he, he takes what little we give and he makes a great, a great thing of it, Luke 6.38. We understand that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying those who teach, it's all about money and give to my ministry, and then you study their ministry, and they don't do anything for people. Their ministry is about raising money for their ministry. It drives me batty. There's so much false teaching. Paul says, I wish you were cut off. And finally, we come to flesh or spirit, and that's what we're going to study next week. Paul says here in verse 13, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. You've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. We're called to freedom. Don't let anybody put you under a bondage. Don't let the devil put you under a bondage of sin. Years, years ago, a few months ago, I was in the emergency room, sitting next to a young girl, a wonderful young girl, and she was a Christian. She's going to a a denomination that taught that she couldn't eat meat and uh, some other things they taught. And I said, well, why don't you read 1 Timothy chapter 4, which says if you say people can't eat meat, you're teaching the doctrine of the devil. And I said, go to Acts 15, where Peter said these things are now clean. You know, I said, you know, I explained to her that as a Christian, she's free to eat those things. Well, my church teaches. I said, well, just go home and read those passages. Doesn't matter what the church teaches. It matters what this says. And the word of God says we're free. We, you know, under the law, they couldn't eat the lobster and the shrimp. They couldn't eat the barbecue. I don't think they had barbecue. Maybe they did. They couldn't eat that stuff. They couldn't eat things that were considered dirty. But now, folks, we're free. 
We're free to eat that stuff. And I enjoy that stuff. I ate pork this week. Enjoyed every bite of it. And I'll eat catfish, which into the law is a bottom dweller. It's dirty. Some things I won't eat, but we're free. Folks, stand. Stand. Stand against the bondage of sin. Stand against the legalism of controlling people. Stand against the teachings that are anything but clear in the New Testament. Stand against any message that says you have to do this or that outside of Jesus for salvation. Stand on the word of God and God will bless you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Father, if there's anyone here who's never been saved, I just pray, God, you'll compel them to come forward and trust Jesus. Maybe some today are concerned and confused as to what scripture teaches and Maybe they're under a bondage of some rule in their life or a regulation. Maybe somebody's uh, put something on them that they just can't shake. Or maybe someone is here and, and they think they're saved because of their baptism or, or, their, or some other thing. Lord, I just pray you'll speak to hearts from this word as we really wrap up this whole idea of salvation by faith in the, in the book of Galatians and next week move into practical stuff. Lord, God, I just pray that that the practical will be good for next week, but for today, it's all about the cross. Today, it's all about Jesus and his sufficiency. We don't need anything but Jesus Christ, our Savior. And just pray now your blessing invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.